The speedcafe.com podcast is brought to you by Morris, the official finance partner of Speed Cafe. Speed. 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 Speed Cafe. Speedcafe.com. Your daily racing fix. Check it out. Speed Cafe. <laughs> Hi there, race fans. I'm Mark Fogarty, and this is the Speed Cafe podcast. My guest is supercar star James Courtney, one of the most popular personalities despite his lack of wins in recent years. At 43, Courtney is a V8 veteran with enduring charisma. He's staying on for at least two more years, signing on to lead Blanchard Racing Team's expanded two-car effort in 2024. A twice-world karting champion, Courtney was destined for Formula One until an horrendous test crash 21 years ago derailed his career tra- trajectory. He bounced back to win the Supercars Championship in 2010, but fair to say it's been slim picking since. Courtney is one of the very few personalities in the sport, and his ebullient attitude is well, frankly, a breath of fresh air. He's entertaining and honest as he reviews his eventful career. James Courtney, welcome to the Speed Cafe podcast. Now, James. Well, thank you. It's very official. It is, but we've known each other (laughs) now for a very long time, since when you, you came to the UK in 1999. So, it's about time you had a long chat with your Uncle Fogues, isn't it? I've been putting it off for, <laughs> what is it now? It's, what, 23 years. So, you finally roped me into it. Nearly, uh, um, yeah, nearly a quarter of a century. So, I've avoided it for long enough. So, yes, let's do it. All right, we'll get stuck in. So, let's start at the end before we go back to the beginning. You've re-upped. For another couple of years in supercars, switching to Blanchard Racing Team. Why? For me, it's a pretty easy decision. I uh, I love racing, folks. I'm. Uh, I I think what happened uh, when that whole Team Sydney thing fell apart didn't happen, and it was just a nightmare with the webs. Uh, and I was sort of walked away from it, and. Uh, I didn't actually even spend a, t- a whole race meeting on the side because COVID kicked in and I that race got cancelled at the Grand Prix and then I turned up at the next one. But sitting on the lounge at home, seeing everyone else uh, get saddled in and the preparation for the weekend and everything, it quickly dawned on me that I wasn't ready to walk away from it or not be involved. And, you know, it, it scared me, to be honest, of what life's like afterwards. So I... Um, you know, that, that rush that you have on the start line, the thrill of the competition, the camaraderie within the team, those relationships that you build, uh, you know, the hustle of chasing the sponsorship dollars and just everything about the sport is is uh, is my life, mate. I've, I've, I've only ever done this. This has been my only ever passion in life. I'm, I'm pretty boring away from the track. I'm just 100% dad life and, and – um, you know, the kids and that sort of thing. And I don't have any other 
hobbies or focuses or you know any other interests at all apart from my racing so it's um it's me it's who i am like i said i love the thrill of racing and competing and door-to-door action and and uh i'm not going to get that if i don't race so yeah happy to really excited to be going another two years i what's happening with with brt is probably a little bit of what we tried to do with the whole team sydney thing with building a team and and really getting a good group of people together to try and build something so as then when i walk away eventually from the sport i can sort of say hey look yeah i had all those amazing years with you know successfully established teams but yes then i gave back and you know put a little bit of everything that i've learned from each team i've been into into brt and this is what it is sort of that's it's not not really saying my legacy but that's um you know a little bit that i can leave when i'm when i'm not around anymore so i mean obviously you signed with them so you have confidence but you really are convinced that they can drag themselves up to be contenders? Yeah, that's what the the beauty of the Gen Three program is. I know it's it's copped a you know an amazing bashing over the last twelve months, and even the lead up into the the whole Gen Three thing. But you no longer do you need you know the massive engineering state how powerhouses of triple eights and you know competing against HRTs and Pickfords and all that sort of stuff because you can't design anything nowadays, mate. You can't go and design a new operator or go and design, you know, new front geometry and all this sort of stuff. It is what it is. So now it's about a driver and relationship and and um, and just the package that everyone has making the most out of it. So uh, like with any business, thing that I've worked out along the way, it's uh, whether it be motorsport or, or, you know, any business, that it's a people thing and if you don't have the right people in the right positions and you know a humble happy um working environment where everyone wants to achieve the same things and has the same philosophies you're never going to achieve so that's what uh we're focusing on and there's no reason why brt can't you know go up and compete against those guys so we have all the same products we're just got to get the right people in the right areas and all be pointing in the same direction and then me do my job and Aaron do his and off we go. Well, yeah, and it'd be nice, you know, in the, let's call it the twilight of your career, if you could, you know, snag a win or two before you finally call it quits, wouldn't you? I mean, look at David Reynolds on the weekend, proves it can be done. Yeah, the crows have two podiums this year as my... 18th or 19th season, whatever it is, I'm the second most consecutive years of getting podiums after Lowndes now. So it's, um, you know, I'm, I know what I'm doing. I'm, I'm hungry. I still want to win. Um, so, yeah, like you said, I, I definitely haven't sort of wound it back and just rolling around. Um, I think on the weekend it showed I'm hungry and I'll fight and push as hard as the guy next to me to get the results. So, uh, it uh yeah, it'll be lovely to uh get some success with with uh BRT. I've had, you know, podiums and wins with every team I've been with, so it uh there's no reason why that should change. All right. So looking back since the late nineties, you've had a well, at times very successful career, at times some very difficult periods, but it's certainly been colourful and 
not to put too fine a point on it. In the early days, <laughs> it promised so much. Are you, are you happy with your career that you've delivered as much as you could? Um, yeah, I think it's, yeah, I don't regret anything. Um, I think everything that's happened along the way has happened for various reasons. And I'm the person I am now because of the journey I've been on. Um, you know, for sure. Yeah. Far out. I'd love more than one championship in supercars. Um, you know, I'd love to have more wins than whatever I've got. It's, you know, everyone wants more success than what they've had, but I think, I confidently can sit here and say that I could not have tried harder or, or done more with what I've had or, you know, the positions we've been in. It's, um, it, it, you know, the results haven't come from a lack of, you know, drive or will to win or anything like that. So it's, it's a strange, you know, sport we're in here that, uh, you know, you can have the most unbelievable game or race, the race of your life, but yet you still don't win. It's uh, it's weird, this sport, in that, you know, with just, say, athletics, you know, the, the harder those guys train, the better they are, then the better result is going to be. But with us, um, in our sport, in motorsport, there's so many outside determining factors that, you know, that uh, can change and shape your race weekend. So whether it be, you know, it's, you know, on the weekend I make a mistake or perhaps... You know, you're in a position strategically where you can win and, you know, in the pit stop, a pit stop gun fails. So then your pit stops, you know, a little bit longer while they're changing the gun. And there's just so many outside factors which influence our results, which makes that sport so frustrating at times. Um, and, you know, there's only ever one guy that can win every time we go racing. So it's, uh, yeah, it is, it is frustrating. But in the end, we still keep turning up here year after year, week after week. And um and going for it, so yeah, I would have loved more success, but you know, like I said, I'm not regretful or or wish I did anything different. Well, it's not been through any lack of skill. In fact, in the early days, your trajectory was on the way to Formula One. You should have got there, but you didn't. How disappointing was that? Yeah, folks. To be honest, it was. Um, you know, at the time, it was soul-crushing. You, you, I just arrived at the wrong time. Um, you know, if that was a couple of years earlier or perhaps I was a little bit younger and that was a couple of years later, it would have been, it could have been very, very different. But, uh, but yeah, I was, I was disappointed. Um, you know, I felt that I had ticked every box along the way and done, you know, the best and as many results and wins and all the championships and stuff that I had leading up to it and, it's life, mate. It's like timing is everything in life. And I peaked too early, a bit prematurely maybe. But, um, you know, it, it's life. You know, looking back at it now when you're a bit older and wiser and and whatever, it's, um, yeah, I, I, I don't sit here now dreaming what my life could have been. Um, I'm pretty quick in changing focus and, you know, my goals and all that sort of stuff. And, and um coming to the you know realization of my reality um and it wasn't going to happen so then i had to you know still i'm 43 years old never had a real job someone's still paying me to go race a car every couple of weekends life isn't too too bloody bad mate it's uh you know i still wake up every morning pinch myself one you know 
got a beautiful, happy, healthy family. And two, I get to, um, you know, race a car for a living. It's, uh, it's not too, not too shabby. Indeed. The life of a professional racing driver is one to be envied, but still on this formula one thing. I mean, it was that horrendous Monza test crash in 2002 that, you were lucky to survive it. It left a mark on you for a while, but that's kind of where it all went pear-shaped, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, it definitely was a uh, pivotal point. Um, you know, it, it did change things up. It meant that I couldn't win the F3 championship, which then had flow-on effects, you know, with how the F1 sort of thing would come about. So, it, uh, yeah, it, it definitely was a turning point. Um, you know, it... To have uh, that go wrong at you know at a young age, and you like you spoke about, you're pretty much right on the edge of you're the next guy in, and then to have something like that happen and that that setback at that age when you're at that height, and you hadn't I hadn't really experienced a setback prior to that because I'd you know won and achieved and moved on every every couple of years, and and no one had ever said no, or you know the deal that we were chasing never had not come off, so it was the first real kick in the face and it was probably the biggest one of my career and to take that first was uh yeah it was was um it was pretty tough but it uh yeah i suppose it uh definitely was the uh yeah the point where things the road started to there started to be other other avenues i guess well we talk a lot these days in sport about concussion and that crash well, that rattled your brain, didn't it? I mean, it was what sixty-seven G, and yeah, it's pretty, it, it, pretty big. Yeah, it took you a while to recover, didn't it? Yeah, it was a good few months, um, three months until I think it was three months, three four months until I could drive the car again, um, and then. But really, it was pretty near twelve months before I felt myself again um, with. Uh, you know, with headaches, I'll just get ridiculous headaches as soon as I woke up uh, in the night trying to drive with bright lights or any sort of loud music. I'd just instantly get, you know, really bad sort of migraines. So that um, that was pretty bad. Uh, also, I always had shaky hands, but after the accident, it did some sort of damage to my nervous system. So, like, now people laugh at me because if I'm holding something, I shake like crazy. So... I have constant reminders of what went on and what happened. Um, but really to have a crash at 360 kilometers an hour or 25 kilometers an hour, whatever it was, um, and sustain that amount of force to be able to, you know, be a fully functional human is, uh, is pretty remarkable. So it's, uh, it's definitely, um, you know, something that uh, I don't really want to do again. But the weird thing about it is because I have no memory of the actual impact at, at all. I just remember the wheel sort of, as I got on the brake and the whole rear suspension tore off. Um, I remember the car sort of rocking and then realizing I had, because then the pedal, because I pulled the brake line and everything because the whole corner's gone. So then there's no closed circuit, so the brakes don't work. And the front wheel, one of the front wheels is in the air because of the way the, you know, it hasn't got a wheel on it. 
I remember as it hit the curb and was sort of flying towards the wall, they always say you should let go of the steering wheel. And I was thinking, should I let go? <laughs> and I don't remember anything after that. So I don't remember like hitting it or, you know, the however long it took me to get from the curb to the fence and then back out. I just have no memory of any of that part. And the next thing I remember is someone trying to get me out of the car. So it's, uh, yeah, it's weird. I, I've never sort of been scared to get back in. I drove the F1 car quite a few times after that. Uh, I'm not smart enough to get scared. Uh, I put all my eggs into one basket, so I couldn't do anything else. But, uh, but yeah, to sort of survive that level of um, accident, it's a sort of it's a credit to the safety of the cars and and all that sort of stuff. But, um, but yeah, it was 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 pretty large. And I guess the big thing for you as a driver was the fact that it wasn't your fault. It was a catastrophic catastrophic failure of that Jaguar F1 car, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. So uh, sort of do all the testing afterwards and, and whatever. And what it ended up being was uh, the bottom wishbone, the joint that uh, sort of the carbon wishbones, and it has a titanium end that bolts the gearbox and they didn't take the tape off the titanium end when they bonded the carbon to the the tight like the end of the, the wishbone so is you know it held up for a while but then when it's it fatigued it let go it pulled apart so that's what then tore the whole corner off when you broke so the whole wheel ripped off and then attached to all and then it pulls the floor off and the side pod and the wing as well because it's all sort of interwound and connected um, so then you don't have the drag from the downforce to slow you down. So, and then you don't have any rear brakes and the front brakes don't really work because one of the wheels is off the ground. So it's, uh, yeah, it doesn't slow down too much. No nightmare scenario, I should imagine. All right. That's a setback. It costs you the British Formula Three championship, which back in your day was still important and was the pathway to Formula One. But you go off a couple of years in Japan, rebuild your career, if it needed rebuilding, and then you turn up in supercars, joining Stone Brothers Racing, replacing Marcus Ambrose. You must have thought, this is going to be my ticket to fame in Australia. Um, well, to be honest, folks, when I left the whole F1 dream and all that sort of stuff, when that all sort of disappeared and i went to japan and um you know the toyota guys were pursuing us quite aggressively you know wanting us to go and and obviously race and do all their stuff um the, the thought of getting paid was something that was really interesting um so and then when i went to japan and i started um obviously i was a lot closer to home so and as i was starting to race sports cars and all that sort of thing i started to pay more attention to supercars and I could see the supercars growing and growing and growing. And, you know, I got to the point where I was just, I was very close with Neil Crompton because Neil sort of helped me initially to meet Alan and all that sort of stuff. So I started talking to Neil a bit more about it and saying I wanted to come home. You know, the, the thought of living at home, because at that point, I think I'd been gone 12, 13 years living sort of um, overseas. So I was pretty keen to get home. My wife at the time was pretty keen to come back. So it, um, yeah, it, the the thought of being able to race at home and fly home on a Sunday night and stay in your own bed 
in Australia was something that was uh, very uh, appealing. And uh, yeah, so I pursued pursued that and obviously did the HRT thing at Bathurst first uh, with SCAFE and then, yeah, then did the deal with, er- with not Erebus, now it's Erebus, SBR. And uh, yeah, I, I, I love the idea of being back here and how big the championship was sort of, I thought, you know, it's, it was quite unusual how much success I'd had away from Australia, but yet no one sort of knew or heard or because at that time social media wasn't big and, you know, it was only just started Facebook and all that sort of stuff. I don't think it had even started, to be honest. But um, so it was a weird feeling that I had all that success, but no one knew who I was at home. So I suppose a little bit of it as well was wanting some recognition for what I had achieved and just to, um, I suppose I also hadn't had no real relationship with my family because I'd left at such a young age and flights were so expensive. And like we just spoke about, I just raised and there was no social media. So no FaceTiming or any of that sort of stuff. So communication was really quite minimal with mum and dad and my sisters. So to be able to come home and race in front of those guys and, and see them more and then also live in my home country and, the championship was massive. The races looked fantastic. You get paid lots of money. My wife would be happy. It sort of there was, was no brainer to come back. But you must have thought SBR, three consecutive championships in a row, supercars title. Here we come. Uh oh. I hundred percent. That's exactly what I thought. And then I went to um, Tasmania for the first or for the round to watch with Ross and Jimmy. And I knew Marcus really well because we were teammates in Formula Ford and in England. And I said, I sort of rolled up there and Marcus said to me, I'll never forget it. He said, mate, you're too late. It's a sinking ship. And I was like, what? This guy doesn't know what he's on about. He's just angry because he's he doesn't want anyone else to have success <laughs> in his team. But, um, but yeah, so it wasn't as easy as what I hoped it was going to be. Well, look, don't take this the wrong way, but it, it does seem to me that apart from, you know, 2010 with DJR, we'll get into that, you've had a knack in supercars of picking what you would have thought was the right team, but incredibly at the wrong time. Yeah, you know, I picked different teams for different reasons. Um, you know, I knew HRT wasn't going to be pleasant when I first went there. You know, SBR, to be honest, I thought that was going to be, you know, plug and play. I thought it was just going to be line up the trophies, boys, because get the engraver out. We're going to be whipping our names on them. Um, but, uh, but DJs was, you know, that, that was big, I guess pretty well documented, you know, the whole Adrian relationship and why that all unfolded the way it did and with Charlie and all that. But, uh, but yeah, I probably have. Um, I think as well, like probably HRT stands out more so than any of the others that a big reason why I wanted to go there was, you know, to have mine. I watched Brock and those guys when I was, I don't want to say scathe, but I will. Um, And Lowndes and all those big names when I was young have success at HRT. And and I thought, you know, as you quite ego driven, motorsport people are we uh i was like i'll be able to sort this place out and you know bring hrt back to where it should be and you know along with the greats and then my name will be up with scafe and 
Brock and Lowndes and all these sorts of guys. So it's, um, you know, it's been different motivations for different reasons. Also, when the whole HRT thing happened, I didn't really have a choice um, to stay at DJ's because, to be honest, if it didn't happen the way it did with with all those dramas that year, I would have, I wouldn't have gone to HRT that year. I would have, you know, seen out my time at at DJ's and then then gone across. Yeah, well, as I said, you won a championship in bizarre circumstances with the team falling, falling apart around your ears. Bit of, well, I don't know if I call it skullduggery, but your move to HRT was full of intrigue. And, um, well, apart from the reasons you, you set out, um, you did go for the money, didn't you? Uh, to be honest, folks, I got paid the same at DJ's as what I did at HRT. So, oh, come on. Oh, really? Serious. Yeah. So yeah. the million dollar so, salary, the million dollar salary is a myth. I don't know. Is it a myth, folks, or did I get that at DJ's? So, look, I, I, I wouldn't I, have I, thought so, but you're telling the story. Go on. <laughs> um. No, look, I there was a little bit more at HRT, but it wasn't a lot more. But it uh, look the yeah, like I said, I would have stayed at DJ's. We just won the championship, or we were winning the championship when it all fell apart, and we were told you can't, we can't honor the contracts next year. Everything's done, so everyone go and find new jobs. And that's when you know a lot of the number ones went to Triple Eight. Burgess went to Triple Eight. Scotty and I went to HRT. Um, yeah, I think it's something like 60 or 70% of the uh, race team had found other employment before. And then that week of Homebush, Steve Brayback saved um, Dick's Bacon and, and, um, you know, and kept the team, as everyone knows. So, uh, you know, if that had happened, if Steve had come in before, then for sure I would have, I would have stayed. Like I said, why would have I have moved? We'd just, beaten triple eight with their old car so it's um you know we had an amazing bunch of guys i'd never even to this day haven't had that sort of feeling within a team of what we had at at dj's at that time and that's the only reason we won that championship was because of everyone that was on the floor and in that team um wanted it as much as you know i did and each other and um and we all believed in each other's ability and focused on our own jobs and doing our own jobs properly. And then we all succeeded together. So, yeah, the only reason we did one was, you know, was down to everyone on that floor. It's, you know, it wasn't down to me. It wasn't down to Adrian. It wasn't down to, you know, Princess who was on, you know, on one of the cars or, or, or Nick on my car. It was down to everyone doing their, their, their job. So it's, um, yeah, why would I leave that environment? Hmm. You know, you did move on. It was the most incredible championship victory, though. I mean, the drama going on at Homebush and crashing and racing to repair the car. I mean, yeah, but even you, before that, mate, we, you couldn't write we about didn't it. Didn't have. Yeah, we Adrian couldn't get brakes coming into the weekend because uh, you know there's no store credit anywhere because of what was happening financially at djs um you know we were told don't leave anything in the truck because it's getting repossessed like all this sort of like stuff and um it was just 
yeah, wild leading up to it. So, you know, Dick and Charles were at each other. Um, it, um, yeah, it was pretty full on. And it was, it was, uh, it was hard to keep your focus, that's for sure. Okay. So you're a big personality. In fact, so big a personality that back in 2007, Channel 7 put you on Dancing with the Stars. Um, they're obviously grooming you, and I use that in the old-fashioned sense, not the new one, um, <laughs> to be a big personality. But tell me about Dancing with the Stars. How was that whole experience? Uh, the most horrifically... Oh, maybe not. Yeah. It was. I've been married, and <laughs> this that was the scariest moment. I was sitting there when you're they're playing the music. The show's live as well. I I've never ever thought in my whole life about running away from something. But when I was sitting there in the dark and they were playing the music like the opener, I seriously thought about running and just when they'd pan the camera, I wouldn't be there. It. Uh, you know, people talk about the birth of their children being scary or or you know their on their wedding day all that sort of stuff none of that compares that was the most horrific horrifically like just frightening experience of my life but not once was I comfortable at all yeah well probably got two lead feet or something I, I, I don't know well, well when they sold it to me they said look it'd be a couple of hours practice each week Mate, I was doing six-hour days to try and <laughs> understand it. It was it's pretty yeah, it was, athletic uh, as well, isn't it? Yeah, I, I, to be honest, I didn't think it was going to be as hard as what it was. I don't think anyone, I think everyone underestimates, you know, a dancer's strength. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it was, uh, it was a fantastic experience for me. Um, like you touched on it, it did wonders for me with my, profile here in Australia at um, I'll never forget I was at Bathurst and some big fella who looked really scary yelled at me in a group and he said, Oh yeah I was just like looking for someone else for him to be pointing to, but he's pointing at me and I'm like, Oh what? And he goes, Because of you I have to watch that dancing show on Tuesday nights And I was just like, Oh and he goes, But you're doing okay <laughs> I thought the guy was mm. gonna kill me. But it um it definitely achieved what it set out. I think that was the beauty of Channel 7 then and, and all the people that were involved at Supercars, they were doing all that cross-promotion stuff and bringing our sport into mainstream media. It's something that's been lost with our sport in the last couple of years. We've sort of been hiding away and disappearing into the background, whereas you know, back in that day, they were pushing us to the front and you know have, say, have something to say. Say, be your person. Have a personality. You know, Say what you want. And it seems like over the last few years, it's 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 been the other way, and it's uh, something that I think, as a sport, we really need to get back to. Is is that? Mm, no, indeed. No, I was going to ask you about that because you're such a big personality, and you know, willing to speak out. And the top drivers now, uh, they're very bland. So yeah, well. You're just confirming what I think. We need more personalities in the sport. Yeah, it's uh, you can only drive for cer for a certain period of time, and then when if you haven't made that impact or had that profile, then yeah, you know, once you're not driving, you're worthless. And I think 
with me sort of putting all that work in off the track, I think that's a big part of why I'm 43 and still, you know, you know, you've got the relationship I do with Snowy River and then, you know, the opportunities with BRT and, and all of that sort of stuff because I have more to bring to the team than just, you know, driving a race car. So when you finally hang it up, probably in a couple of years or so, are we going to see you in media? You, you would seem to have a future there and you wouldn't. Yeah, folks, I'd love to do driver. it. Yeah, I'd love to do it. I enjoy that side of things. I don't, I, um, you know, I like explaining, you know, our, our sport and, and I'm passionate about it. And I think that comes across, um, you know, I, I think with my such unusual, not up, unusual upbringing, but, you know, through all those years of me living in foreign countries, not being out like in Italy at a young age, not being able to understand the language, you, you learn to be able to read people and communicate with a whole array of people, you know, whether it be, you know, a fan that's been to Bathurst for the last 30 years and, you know, he's telling me that he watched, you know, Brock come across the top and be able to converse with those guys as well as like a, you know, a CEO of a big multinational company. I've, I've been able to find the skills to be able to do that and, and have, find common things between both of those people so I can, you know, hold my own in a conversation or, um, you know, get my point across. And I think that's something that, you know, I've a skill that I've been able to develop over my career and something that I think is very useful in that, you know, in the media sense when you're, whether you're interviewing someone or, you know, explaining the car in a basic way if it's you know needed that way or if it's you know in a very complicated way I, I can sort of get my point across so to speak rather than you know a lot of the guys now don't put the effort in and and you know say there's no value in it but you know in years to come they'll regret probably not putting more of an effort well we look forward to seeing you on the broadcast sometime in the future now very much earlier you touch upon a couple of key influences for your career, Neil Crompton, as you mentioned, but also Alan Gow, the longtime boss of the British Touring Car Championship, who was for many, many years your manager. I mean, he was he was key to getting you where you've got to, wasn't he? Yeah, look, it's, um, yeah, first and foremost is, is my parents. Yeah, the mum and dad sort of put everything you know, it's growing up and, and sort of got me as far as they could. And, and, um, and we got to that point after winning the karting world championships and all that sort of stuff to, you know, it, it couldn't afford to go car racing. So that's when Neil introduced me to Alan and yeah. And then everything took off from there. So, you know, I still talk to Alan every day. Um, now it's, uh, I hate to think of how many years we've been together. It'd have to be close to, it had to be like 28 years, maybe, or 26 years, something like that. But it's a long period of time, and I spent a lot of that living with Alan as well. Um, and then when you're working and sort of – and with me not being home, I guess, I with, with Alan, I ended up sort of getting a lot of traits, I suppose, um, you know, with how to handle people and negotiating and all that sort of stuff you you pick up and, and along the way. So I think I've learned so much from, from Alan and he's a big part of why I am who I am and in my career. Um, so, yeah, look, if, if Big Al didn't step up and if, first of all, 
mum and dad didn't get to me where, where I was. And then if Neil didn't do the intro, but you know, it's, there's so many people along the way, but yeah, a hundred percent. Alan is Matt. Like if that meeting never happened, I could hand on heart say that I would be running mum and dad's old um, carpet flooring business in Penrith. And that's what I'd be doing. So it's, uh, you know, it, I can't ever thank Alan enough for, you know, everything he's done for me through whether it be, you know, financial, initially putting that money in and, and, um, and doing all that. But just, yeah, I, I, there's, I could never, like I always, every now and then I'll have a few drinks and I'll, we'll be talking on the phone and I'll get all emotional and we'll tell each other how much we mean to each other and all this sort of stuff. And folks, you know, Alan better than anyone. He is so unemotional. But to, um, yeah, to have someone take such a big risk on you and put so much effort into you when you're not their, um, you know, biological child is is massive. And, and um, yeah, I think you're getting at that I can't thank him enough. I'm getting all emotional. But uh, <laughs> yeah. that happens with no, me. We, yeah, we, he's, we both know him well. He's a good bloke. Yeah, it's it's massive. Well, James, just a couple more things I want to get into before we let you go. So, back in 2015, how's your luck? A Navy helicopter comes swooping into Sydney Motorsport Park. You get hit by a sign, suffer pretty significant, well, chest injuries. Uh, what was the upshot of all that? Did you ever get compensation? Uh, I don't know if I can say yes. <laughs> yeah. but yes. But you did, yeah. No, but yeah. that was bizarre, wasn't it? Yeah, I think it broke 12 ribs, uh, six ribs in two locations. So it was broke them all along the front on one side and all along the black back and then punched my lung in two places. So, yeah, it was pretty uncomfortable. It still is now. I still feel it every day. And it knocked you out of racing for a while. You missed Bathurst, but wow, came back and won the Gold Coast. Well, one of the yeah, so I missed, then Gold Coast 600. Yeah, so I missed Eastern Creek or SMP, whatever you want to call it, and then Sandown and Bathurst. But uh, yeah, and then came back and won with with Jack Perkins. And a cool, like, what makes that even better? Like, what, you know, it's cool to win Bathurst with your mate. Um, uh, not Bathurst, whatever, Gold Coast with your mate. And, you know, after all the injury and you come back and that's the first race back to win. Uh, but the, the cool little part of that, which not people, many people know, is that Larry gave me $5,000 when I left Australia as a young fella. And I remember as a handwritten note, uh, and he said, he wrote on it, look, I know it's not much, but it's what I can um, spare. You know, I know how hard it's going to be for you, and I just wish you all the luck in the world. And then for me to then be able to win, or Jack have his first ever victory and and experience that with him, uh, it's quite a cool full circle moment to you know to be able to reward and thank Larry in you know in a pretty cool way for him taking that chance on me to then be able to win it with his son is uh, was pretty cool. Oh, that's a lovely story, and it's not the hard nut Larry Perkins that is his image, is it? 
No, and the crazy thing is, like, Larry is supposed to be a real hard ass. Um, Gowie's a real hard ass, and you know, two real hard ass blokes, uh, two blokes that saw something in me and took a risk on me, and and um, a P, a two guys that I've never had a drama or been able to talk to, if you know what I mean. They've just been super easy for me to communicate with, and and, and whatever. So it's quite ironic that, and uh, but yeah, it's yeah, big L. Big Larry, um, put his hand in his pocket. Not many people did, but he he did. Mm. It was only oh, him, right. my dad, Neil Crompton, and Alan Gow. So there's it's quite a small list of people. Yeah. And Uncle Fogue. Yeah, yeah, I suppose, and all the team owners that have paid me along the way. So yeah, it's actually quite a lot. But... Okay, oh, I'm not getting the love here, am I? Oh, seriously. All right. Okay, so. Yeah. The oh, other one the other one and you you touched on this earlier. The team Sydney debacle. What happened there? Seriously. Oh, I just um uh I think it's one thing that um I'll never do again is sort of the the way the sad thing about all of that is this: there still is, and there was so much potential, but just people get greedy and promise you the world. And I think I was because I had a, a you know a, a relationship with them, the Webb family away from the track. I sort of let it get too far without you know things in place and and living on hopes and prayers and believing and having too much faith and trust in someone that they'll stand by their word and they would do what they promised. Um, and it just got to a point where they weren't doing what they said they were going to do and and were just completely taking it in the a direction which I didn't see or want to go in and ultimately weren't paying anyone. So I then just, yeah, just pulled the pin and walked away. I I didn't want to be part of it. It, uh, it wasn't what we'd set out and what we said we were going to do. Um, so, yeah, I, I thought it was going to do too much damage to the sport and to my brand with the way that it was going. And ultimately, look, it just is exactly what we could see was happening, was happening. And ultimately, it's probably the best decision I ever made was was to walk away at that point. It, it was a great idea. And had it been done properly... Yeah, yeah, folks. To be honest, it's all still there, Sydney. Yeah, yeah, and Mm -hmm. it's all still there, and and you know that the open can of worms that's just sitting there that no one's grabbed and run with is uh, is yeah, is crazy. But uh, to have a half-assed token go at it, and yeah, it it did too much. It was going to do too much damage, and it 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 has it it, uh, never ended up being what it was promised to be, and and they never did what they said they were going to do. So, yeah. Yeah, proofs in the pudding. When you say it's still there, sorry, when you say it's still there, it could be done, what do you mean? That opportunity, the Sydney market is huge. It's, what is it, 25 minutes from the CBD, uh, you know, Eastern Creek there and the facility and all that sort of stuff to be able to have, you know, a race team at a a race circuit is opens up so many ability um, potential commercially with 
you know, with the way you can activate. Um, and it's just, and also with Sydney, it's, it's the, uh, you know, so many heads of, heads of business are there and, and, um, you know, commercially Sydney doesn't, you know, it's very much football driven. There's no motorsport at all. And you would have that whole market to yourself with no challenge. Hmm. Yeah, indeed. It was a, a great vision that fell flat on its face. Anyway, you escaped with your life and you moved on. So you're pretty happy and settled these days. I mean, you've, you've had a bit of turmoil in your personal life, like we all have. But things these days yeah. looking good, yeah? Yeah, I, yeah. to be honest, through that period was right when I was going through a divorce as well. And it was in the way that they used that against me was really, really, really grubby as well. Um, so, but yeah, like that's it's five years ago now, um, all that sort of stuff. And, you know, like, like you said, I, I couldn't be happier now. The kids are happy and healthy. Um, you know, Zara and Cadell were both there on the weekend at the, at the GC 500, Boost GC 500. Um, and with their friends, um, you know, Tegan, my, my wife and our little bloke, Kobe, it's, uh, you know, we couldn't be happier. It's, uh, home life now is, is beautiful. It is, um, I miss the kids like crazy when I, you know, with Karis, Max and myself, we, we share custody. The kids 50 50, so week on week off. I miss Dara and Cadell like, uh, like a hole in the head. Like, not a hole in the head. That means I don't miss them. I miss them unconditionally like crazy. Um, when they're not here and I love when they're here and seeing them interact with Kobe and how Kobe's sort of idolizes Dara and Cadell and how they're all interacting is fantastic. And, um, you know, Tegan's been a godsend. She's, you know, a beautiful woman, um, so calming for me, and um, you know, just just amazing to hang around and 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 yeah, home life is perfect. So it's uh yeah, it's when I I probably underestimated how much that affects your your work side of things as well, and it's just now I feel complete. Everything's everything's uh, working out, folks. It's uh, yeah, couldn't be happier. Well, that's great to hear. Great to hear that home life, home life is going well and you're committed for another couple of years. James Courtney, thank you for your insight and your time. Good luck for the rest of this Thanks, season folks. and the next couple of years coming up. Cheers, mate. James Courtney is a great character and certainly a survivor in supercars that's it for now i'll be back late on monday with all the latest breaking news on the speed cafe newscast in the meantime full coverage of all the major racing action around the world at speedcafe.com and don't forget the grassroots racing podcast presented by national racing gurus gary o'brien and darren smith I'm Mark Fogarty. Thanks for listening. You've just listened to a Speed Cafe Pod Hub production. <laughs>